I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, lifestyle, wellness, and self-development. Join me in uncovering the mysteries of beauty, anti-aging, and ultimate longevity with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the health revolution. Hi, beautiful ones. I am so excited to share today's episode with you. Our guest today is Angelica Eiffel, and she is a holistic hormone coach who works with women to balance their hormones for better moods less PMS and pain-free periods. She joins us today to talk about cycles, cycle syncing, mental health, hormonal acne, and balancing your hormones for better moods. Before we get into the show today, I want to tell you how excited I was to take my second blood test with Inside Tracker. So I have officially lowered my inner age, my biological age, by five years. So when I took it the first time, my inner age, my biological age turned out to be 35 years. My biological age is now 30 years old, even though I will be 37 in two weeks. I'm very, very excited, very happy. I made some small changes to my diet since my last blood test to improve my iron, and my ferritin levels and to raise my white blood cell count. And I chose the ultimate plan and inner age test and also have access to the Inside Tracker app, which once you've taken the test has some pointers and ideas about how to help improve your health. So the ultimate test actually looks at 43 biomarkers to improve your daily performance, your sleep, lowering your inner age, improving your metabolism and your lifestyle. So Inside Tracker is really special to me because they have helped me clearly see the connection between my health and my current lifestyle and then what steps to take to give my body the nourishment it needs. And I love that it's in my hands. I can see where I'm at and I can see what actions to take from an intuitive and also a scientific perspective. So my next goal is to lower my biological age to 28 years old. (laughs) So stay tuned to see if I can do it. I do have some recommendations from the app on how to do that. So I'm very excited to continue this journey. If you are interested, use code Dora Vandekamp, one word, anytime, and save 20% on any package. All right, my loves, on to the show. Hi, Angelica. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I've been loving all of your posts, so I'm very excited to get into our conversation today. I would love to just dive right in and ask you a little bit about your journey and what inspired you to become a holistic hormone coach. For sure. Um, So my journey goes back to about six years ago um, when I was in university and I was dealing with IBS and a lot of gut issues and that caused me to really evaluate the way I had been eating my whole life as a child and a teenager. 
And it led me down a path to start learning more about nutrition. At the time, I was in school for computer science, so nothing nutrition or health related at all. Um, but as I was going through this time, figuring out my own health, figuring out, you know, diet changes that worked for me and helped me get rid of a lot of my IBS symptoms, I really developed that love for nutrition and specifically a more holistic approach. And after my first year of university, I really decided that that wasn't the path for me. And at the time, I wasn't considering nutrition as a career. But throughout that summer, as I was, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, trying to figure out my life, I came across the school that I went to online and decided to take the leap and to start studying holistic nutrition. When you began, do you feel like your mind was kind of blown? Because I had that experience too, where when I first started my own schooling in nutrition, it was such a mind blowing experience because there were so many things that I had thought were truths. Then those things were actually really challenged for me. Yes. I definitely had the same experience where I felt like there was so many things where I was like, how had I never heard about this before? (laughs) And thinking back to um, all the times growing up, I went to the doctor for all these digestive symptoms that I was experiencing and either diet was never brought up or the way it was brought up looking back now, I'm like, those are things that I would never suggest. (laughs) Kind of confusing to hear. Um, Yeah, it's definitely interesting and mind-blowing going through it, um, especially like growing up and not really learning much about nutrition apart from like whatever I learned in high school. Yeah. And then what inspired you to really focus on hormones? Like what was that for? for Yeah, so that was definitely a journey. At first, I definitely thought I would focus more on gut health just with my own experience um, with IBS. But over time... I really just found a love for hormones, especially like the feminine cycle and everything that comes along with that. I think as women, we go through so many struggles and a lot of times they are not acknowledged and there's not a lot of support for us. And I just really wanted to change that in any way that I could and be a part of that change where, um, you know, as women, we start to embrace our menstrual cycle and start to embrace our hormones instead of thinking about them as a burden that we just have to bear. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think that so many women can relate to that where it just feels like a burden. I think for a lot of us, maybe this is changing because we're, there's so much more information about our cycles, but even like watching you know, these incredible people share on YouTube or like what you're doing and learning that you have four phases of a, of your cycle. Like we never learned that in school. I mean, I didn't, you know, no, and that you have different ex- experiences during those uh, parts of your cycle and different emotions and different energy levels. And, you know, even being able to talk to your partner and being like, Hey, this, this is the part of my cycle I'm on right now versus last week when I was feeling a little bit different. This is why I'm like acting this way or why I'm feeling a little emotional or whatever. So it is really, really fascinating that we are just like, we're at the tip of the iceberg, I feel like. Yeah. And I definitely have seen that shift. Like it seems like 
the different phases of the menstrual and hormone cycle are something that are being talked about a lot more and feminine energy and the more spiritual side of things is also something that I see talked about a lot more. And it seems like women are less embarrassed and there's less stigma around talking about our periods and stuff like that. So that's amazing to see. And I love to be a part of that and to live in a time where I don't have to necessarily be embarrassed about, you know, my hormones or my period or things like that. Yeah. And, and that is a beautiful thing. It's a little bit tragic because it's taken so long, but it's also really freeing because it's such a normal thing. Like it's something like, why are we so ashamed of our periods? Right. And I mean, there is definitely a lot of cultural and um, I think we're like even religious undertones to the why, right. Why there's shame Mm -hmm. around it. But I'd love to kind of uh, backtrack a little bit and talk about cycles and what is a cycle and what are the four parts of a cycle? Because that's something a lot of people don't even really know about. Yeah, for sure. So um, in your menstrual cycle, or it can also be called the ovulation cycle, you know, the feminine cycle, um, there's different words for it. Um, You have four different phases. Sometimes they're only grouped into two different phases, but I think it's important to acknowledge um, those four different phases instead. So the first phase is the follicular phase, which is um, after your bleed. So some people, or generally we refer to the day one of our period as the day one of our cycle, but I like to think of the follicular phase and after our bleed as the beginning. And a lot of times that's referred to as the springtime. That's when, you know, things are developing and everything's like restarting. Um, that is when estrogen levels are slowly rising, leading up to ovulation. And a lot of times this is when women, um, will start to notice that their energy starts increasing after their period is over. And then we move into ovulation, which is when, um, estrogen levels peak, um, testosterone levels peak. And we generally experience this time as a lot of energy. That's when we are fertile. So a lot of times, like we'll have a higher libido um, and that's referred to as the summertime. So just when everything's like in bloom. And then we move into the luteal phase, which is when progesterone levels go up. And this is often times when women do experience those PMS symptoms in the later luteal phase. So your energy levels will be somewhat steady and then slowly lower right before your period starts. And as um, estrogen drops and progesterone drops, a lot of times women will experience those PMS symptoms, whether it's low mood or headaches or things like that. And then we move into the menstrual phase, which most people are familiar with. That's when you bleed. That's you know what you learn about in school, you bleed. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, when your hormone levels are at their lowest and that is referred to as the winter of the cycle. Um, I missed the luteal phase. That's the fall. So you can kind of imagine things in comparison to the seasons and the kind of energy that comes along with that. I also like to compare it to the 24 hour cycle. So I like to think of the follicular phase of the morning, you know, you're waking up, your energy is slowly rising ovulation as you know that midday point where your energy levels usually kind of peak um and then the luteal phase is the 
late afternoon, evening, you start to get tired, you know, your energy goes down, you're preparing to rest. And then the menstrual phase is night when you're resting and it's kind of darker. And that's how I like to think about things. I love it. I think it's such a good way to illustrate the vibes of each part of the phase, because it really is like, there's an energy around it. And I actually watched this YouTube video a couple weeks ago by a creator called Style Thoughts by Rita. And she's a fashion, um, I think she is like a fashion consultant and she works with fashion, but she did a video on like fashion for the cycle phases. And it was really interesting because I think it is like when you are like in the winter phase, right? And you're you're like on your period, you want to bundle up, you want to be comfortable, you want to wear loose clothing that's like soft and very warm and comforting. But when you're in like the summer phase, you're like in your hot dress, you know, like you're out there with your high heels and that ovulation phase is kind of where you're in the you're the summer, right? Of your fashion yeah. experience. So I think it's such a beautiful way to illustrate it. And I like the 24 hour illustration too, because I do think it's it's very similar. It's kind of like honoring the energy levels of your body, right? Like you do have that space where you're giving all that energy, but then um, you also need the recovery period as well. Yes, exactly. And it's so easy for us to accept the fact that within a 24 hour cycle, we're meant to sleep for eight of it, which, you know, is a large portion. Um, And I think we need to start accepting that with our menstrual phase. Like we need to realize that there's that phase of rest and it doesn't mean anything negative about our productivity or um, about our worth. It's just part of life. Like there's that phase where we need to rest and that time that we need to step back so that when we step back into whatever we're working on, we're that much more strong and productive and have that energy. Yeah. And you bring up something really powerful too, because we, as a society and as a culture, I think we're so compared to men and men's cycles, which is just one cycle every single day, the same kind of cycle. Right. And they have that 24 hour cycle. And also all of the science is really based on mostly on men. All the studies are done with men. So I think differentiating, like you said, not feeling guilty about having these um, ebbs and flows and energy and in, you know, your emotions and your moods and knowing that women's biology is different than men's biology. It's just different. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just different. Yeah. And you brought up a great thing about how a lot of, you know, exercise, nutrition advice is based on men. and you know, you look back and um, find out that a lot of studies weren't done on women of childbearing age, one, because it was considered more dangerous and more of a liability in case um, the woman happened to be pregnant (laughs) while doing the study, like that's obviously bad. Um, But yeah, a lot of times, general nutrition exercise advice is based on men and their hormones, or even women, you know, who might be on birth control and their hormones are more suppressed, things like that. Um, So that makes it a lot harder to know as a woman what you're supposed to do, because, you know, we're not just little men. (laughs) Yeah, we're kind of treated. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I think that's so good. We're not little men. (laughs) We really aren't. (laughs) 
Uh, and you talk about cycle syncing. So what is cycle syncing? Cycle syncing is just the philosophy and the concept of changing around your lifestyle, your nutrition, um, your self-care, your exercise with the different phases of your cycle based on what's going on with your hormones and your energy levels and even that like energetic spiritual side of things as well. Mm, amazing. So what are some things that you would tell somebody that is in their um, like winter phase? What would you tell them um, as far as like sinking for their cycle? For sure. So like the winter phase, the menstrual phase, um, thinking about it as winter is really helpful, I think, to get started because you can think, okay, when I'm eating, what do I like to eat in the winter? I like to eat warming foods. Um, things like stews, chili, stuff like that. You know, you don't want to be eating like ice cream and like <laughs> smoothies necessarily. Um, and then in terms of self-care, you know, you want to be resting, you want to be hibernating, you want to be warm and cozy and conserving your energy because you really don't have energy, energy to give. Your body is using that energy for other things right now. Um, and scientifically it's proven that women need you know up to an hour more sleep during that time um they need more calories so if you're someone who feels like you just like inhale everything while you're on your period like that's not a willpower issue that's your biology your hormones um needing those extra calories um so I would definitely start by just focusing on rest warmth and um reflection is another great thing and thing in terms of the spiritual side of things this is kind of the time to reflect on the last three phases of your cycle the last month um really decide you know what went right what went wrong what changes you want to make um and kind of yeah just reflect on that I really like journaling during that time I'm not a big journaler but I feel like during my period I have like all these things coming to me that I just want to write down and get off of my mind. And so that during my next cycle, when it starts, I can kind of start fresh. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. I like that idea as well, because with your period, I think there's the shedding that's going on. So it's kind of yes. like, there's like a physical a detoxification and, and, and letting go. And then there's also the spiritual and mental and, and, and emotional side of that. Exactly. The letting go, the shedding of the past month, like I, I honestly really love being a woman because I feel like <laughs> each new month I get that like, you know, refresh, um, that shedding of my skin and I can just start fresh yeah. or, you know, decide what I liked about me during the last month and then kind of pivot during the next month. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there are a lot of women who suffer from PMS and I think we've all had variations of that. So some people, it might be very light, like a headache or feeling just really exhausted. There's nausea. Uh, I have a, one of my best friends. She actually, um, for a long time, like threw up during, you know, every time she would have her period. Um, so there's all of these symptoms. So what causes PMS? Yes. So there can be um, a few different causes a lot of times it comes down to something called estrogen dominance. So kind of your main sex hormones as a woman are estrogen and progesterone. And if those two come out of balance, it can lead to a lot of 
the PMS symptoms. And there are other factors as well, like inflammation, you know, if you're getting a lot of cramping, um, inflammation is definitely a factor there. Um, but with estrogen dominance, what it is, is when your estrogen levels are too high in comparison to your progesterone. So that could mean you have high estrogen. It could mean you have low progesterone. It could mean you have low estrogen and progesterone, but one's just lower than the other. Um, so it can kind of depend, but a lot of times PMS will come down to that hormone imbalance, like roughly like 90% of the time or more. Um, and that can come about for some various reasons. Sometimes it is the body isn't detoxifying estrogen efficiently. So if you're constipated, if you have an overburdened liver, that can lead to estrogen recirculating in the body. Um, or it could be uh, a progesterone uh, imbalance, so lower progesterone, you might not be ovulating efficiently. This could be happening, you know, if you're living with a lot of stress, or if you're not eating enough, over-exercising, there's a lot of different factors that can play into that estrogen dominance imbalance. And how would you go about finding out if you are either estrogen dominant, or if you have, let's say, low progesterone or low estrogen? For sure. Um, a lot of times in my work, I go based off of symptoms. Like I don't provide any testing to my clients. Um, and I'm obviously not diagnosing them with an imbalance. They just come to me with their symptoms and we kind of go over what that might indicate. Um, if you do work with someone like a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath, um, a lot of times they will um, let you know what testing can be done, whether that's just, you know, blood testing in their clinic, or if they do something like Dutch testing is really common now and helpful. Um, but when it, another great thing is if you track your cycle. So I recently started working with a fertility awareness educator just to understand my cycle more and dive deeper in because your cycle holds so many insights into your health. So when it comes to that estrogen dominance piece, if you're having a shorter luteal phase or you're not ovulating at all, that's a bigger indicator of something like low progesterone. Whereas um, if that's not an issue, if you're ovulating fine and your luteal phase is fine, maybe that means you're more likely to have higher estrogen, but a normal level of progesterone. Mm. Um, so different things like that, like different symptoms sometimes can indicate different, um, levels of each hormone. Mm. And then what are some of the things that you do when somebody has these symptoms? I know that you work with nutrition. So what does that look like? Yes. So the kind of main things that I will focus on is liver support and detoxification support. So opening up those detox pathways so that estrogen can efficiently be eliminated from the body, any excess estrogen. Um, and then gut health is also so important. Like I mentioned before, if you're constipated, there's no way for that estrogen to be eliminated from the body. So gut health is super important. Um, I'll also work on inflammation. Like I briefly mentioned before, that can also um, influence PMS. And other than that, just kind of supporting any possible nutrient deficiencies that can lead to PMS, like 
lack of B vitamins, lack of magnesium, um, lack of vitamin D is a big one, especially here in Canada. Um, (laughs) So yeah, a few different things. And then just kind of making a diet nutrition plan for my client that works for their lifestyle, but is also supporting their hormones. Mm. And do you ever have people who come in with um, like skin issues? Because I know for sure, even in, in my practice too, and I don't necessarily focus on hormones, but the a number of people who have symptoms that show up on their skin because of some imbalance in the body, I can imagine with hormones, especially you, you must see uh, things like hormonal acne and perhaps other symptoms as well. Yeah, for sure. If you have acne and you notice it's coming up at, you know, a certain time in your cycle, most likely during the luteal phase, and you find that it's on your lower cheek or your chin and jaw area, um, that can be an indicator that it's possibly hormonal. And with acne, it can be due to that hormonal imbalance that we talked about, the estrogen dominance. Inflammation also plays um, a part, or it can also be an imbalance in your androgens. Um, so more of those uh, often thought about like male hormones. Um, it can be an imbalance of those as well. Mm, interesting. And then you also talk about candida. Yes. And I know you uh, have had experiences with that. So what is candida and how does that affect your hormones? Yes. So candida and our hormones um, have a very interesting relationship. What candida is, um, or more specifically, a candida overgrowth. Candida is a um, microorganism that lives in the gut. It can either be a yeast or it can take on more of like a parasitic form. Um, so you can have like normal levels of candida in the gut and things will be totally fine. But if it overgrows either due to a lack of the healthy bacteria in the gut or whether you are like feeding that candida through your diet, um, it can become overgrown. And the issue with that is that the byproducts of candida are pretty toxic and will damage the gut and Also, certain um, byproducts of candida are actually estrogenic. So Mm. they will react like estrogen in the body and lead to that estrogen dominance. And on the flip side, estrogen will feed candida in a sense or help it grow because it is a growth hormone. Um, So if you already have high estrogen, that can lead to candida overgrowth. And then it's kind of like a vicious cycle where you kind of (laughs) need to... Um, where you had high estrogen and then you, it fed the candida in a sense, and then that candida grew and now you have higher estrogen. And what are the symptoms of having like a candida overgrowth? What does that look like? Yeah. So you can experience many different types of symptoms. Um, you can experience mental health symptoms. So lower mood, more anxiety and nervousness. Um, you can experience gut symptoms like, almost like IBS type symptoms. So constipation, um, loose stools, going back and forth between the two, um, pain in the gut, um, a lot of neurological symptoms like brain fog, headaches, things like that. And it can also show up on the skin. Um, if you're seeing it on the skin, it's probably a little bit different than what I described for the hormonal acne. It'll probably be more so like all over the face. Um, 
And yeah, so there's a few different symptoms for sure. But if you have a candida overgrowth, there's a very large chance you also have PMS. So PMS isn't always due to candida, but if you have a candida overgrowth, it often leads to PMS just because what I talked about with the estrogen um, and also the gut issues that it causes will make it harder for you to effectively um, excrete the estrogen in your body as well. It's always so fascinating to me because we have so many, like in our Western kind of medicine, you know, culture, there's all of these kind of names for things. So we have like, even like things like mental illness and, and then we just look at like how deeply everything is connected to, you know, our nutrition and our guts and, just what we're eating and consuming and our hormones. And it's so fascinating to me always because that is often not even looked at. Like here we are, I think we are now scratching the surface. And that's why I'm so happy we're talking today because I want more people to know, like if you are struggling with depression or anxiety, or if you've been told you have mental illness, like, exploring the possibility that there are imbalances going on in your body physically and biologically, because that is something that is, you know, you can work on that. You can work with somebody like you, you can work with somebody like me on balancing these imbalances instead of just taking, um, a medication to maybe mask the symptoms, right? And I'm not saying that medication is good or bad. I'm just saying that there are more options out there. Yes. And that's especially important if you are someone who maybe didn't have the best experience on medication, whether, you know, um, it caused a lot of side effects. So you felt like it wasn't worth it. And then you feel like, oh, well, I can't take the medication. Like, what can I do now? It's, it's very liberating to know that there's um, many different things that you can do for your mental health from, you know, the food that you eat to the spiritual side of things, you know, to um, medication and therapy and the more like traditional approaches. Yeah, that's beautifully said. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about birth control (laughs) and um, just ask you, what are your, uh, what's your view on birth control? What do you think about birth control, specifically hormonal birth control? Because I think most women or many women have taken birth control for a really long time. They may be looking to get off of birth control. Uh, So yeah, I would love to know what you, what you think about it. For sure. Um, I definitely have many thoughts on birth control and the different types. Um, I personally am not one of those people who is like, no woman should be on birth control because I definitely think it has its place. Um, And I just think a lot of times we aren't informed of the actual effects of birth control. And I don't think that's fair because I think as you know, a consumer of a medication, you should really be completely informed to make a proper decision. And a lot of times I think when we are a patient and we're going to our doctor, we just assume that they are fully disclosing everything to us and we put our full trust in them. And a lot of times it doesn't work that way. (laughs) There's been many times where I have been prescribed a medication and 
Um, I am not told about the drug interactions. I'm not told about all of the side effects or even most of the side effects. Um, and that's really concerning because the way that medications can interact with different medications, herbal supplements, um, or even just things like one time in the past when I was on antidepressants, I was never told that you aren't supposed to have cough syrup when you're on them. And I was sick <laughs> oh my and I was just downing cough <laughs> syrup. And I went to the pharmacy one day and happened to be um, getting a new prescription and also buying cough syrup. And the um, person there was like, you know, you're not supposed to take these together. And I was like, no, I didn't. No, <laughs> told me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so with birth control, I think a lot of times there just isn't that informed consent happening. Um, and I also think a lot of times it is prescribed for things that it shouldn't be prescribed for, or there aren't other options um, explored with the patient. So um, when it comes to preventing pregnancy, you know, a lot of times it can be a good option, but if you are going to the doctor specifically about a hormonal imbalance or a hormonal issue like PMS, or even another issue that doesn't even seem like it has to do with your hormones. And for some reason, because you're a woman, you just get prescribed birth control and anti-anxiety or anti-depression medication, which seems to be a lot of women's experience where their issues aren't taken seriously. And um, birth control just becomes a band-aid approach to all of these different issues. So in that case, it's very frustrating. And it's also very frustrating when the side effects that are proven aren't talked about with women. Um, and yeah, there's just a lot of things that I think are done wrong when birth control, you know, is beneficial for some people and is the right choice for some women. But a lot of, I think it's just too often the only option. Yeah. I, I think this is such an important thing to talk about because so many women are um, unaware of the long-term effects and even the potential effects, right? So there are side effects that are certainly, that certainly exist. And then there's also potential side effects such as having a higher risk of breast cancer or uh, uterine cancer, right? These are potential side effects of taking birth control. And there are women who take it for 40, 50 years, right? So I think it is really important for, like you said, the, the potential side effects and also the, um, like you said, drug interactions and all of that. Those are not really things that are told to the patient often. So I think that that's really important. And I know you talk a lot, a lot about what uh, the side effects of the birth control pill are when it comes to nutrition as well. So you've mentioned in your, on your page, like that there are also nutrients that are depleted when it comes to, um, birth control. So, um, could you tell us some of the nutrients that are depleted? Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I just wanted to touch on before we go through that is yes, like a lot of times, even the proven side effects aren't talked about or aren't stressed how dangerous they are. Like I remember in the past um, when I was exploring different birth control options when I was younger and I was looking into the shot and 
I remember looking into it and it said you couldn't be on it longer than a year or two or it could lead to bone loss. And, you know, I was talking to older friends and they were like, oh, no, I have friends who've been on it for like five, ten years. And it's like, <gasps> there's literally a warning that says you shouldn't be on it for longer than a year or two at the longest because it leads to bone loss. And it's just it's just interesting that when that is proven, doctors will still just give you this shot that's potentially leading to something very serious like bone loss um, or a lot of times headaches are something that come along with birth control or migraines and what a lot of women don't realize is that can be a sign of stroke which can be caused by birth control um, especially if you you know are a smoker or something like that or have a history of that um, in your family and people just think, oh, you know, I'm just getting a headache or a migraine. The doctors don't really explain to them what that can be a sign of and why it is happening from the birth control. Absolutely. But yeah, and it's just scary because um, these things aren't as rare as people think. Like growing up, having bone loss early, having a stroke at a young age, like these aren't things that are as rare as people make them seem. Um, and I just think it's important to really stress the dangers as well. You know, there are pros, but you really need to be able to weigh that out for yourself and have that information. Yes. And, you know, two things. The first thing is, you know, I didn't take birth control because I ended up taking it for about maybe six months or something. And I was so emotionally uh, like depressed. I was kind of like, I want to say a little bit on the verge of like suicidal tendencies. So I ended up not going back on it and getting off of it because it just had such an emotional impact for me. Uh, and then I also think something that also is an issue is infertility, which is something that it's insane how many women and men struggle with infertility. And I think that there's a number of different reasons why, but I do believe birth control plays a part for women that it does have the potential to uh, create issues when it comes to fertility. And I mean, it's, it's such a common thing now for so many women struggling with infertility. Yeah, it is very scary seeing the statistics of how much infertility is going up. And I know there's no studies that prove um, that birth control causes infertility or leads to infertility, but it is interesting to think about how, you know, the theory that you can just turn off ovulation for many, many years and then just expect it to come right back. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very, very interesting. So, so when we talk about the side effects of the pill, when you are taking the pill, what are some nutrients that might be depleted because of that? Yes. So B vitamins are a big one. So specifically folic acid, which is why, you know, you should probably um, take some time after being on birth control to replenish that folic acid before getting pregnant, because that's something so important in pregnancy. Um, vitamin B2, vitamin B6, and B12. So a lot of the B vitamins and a lot of these vitamins are also important for preventing PMS as well. If you have a um, deficiency in these vitamins, it can lead to PMS. So that's important to note. 
Um, and then vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, and then the minerals, magnesium, selenium, and zinc. And again, a lot of these are important for um, preventing PMS in the terms that if they are deficient, um, it often leads to PMS. So like magnesium, the B vitamins, um, vitamin D, things like that. Wow. That's like a really long list. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And these are proven, like it's proven that um, the birth control pill depletes these vitamins and minerals. And it's proven that a deficiency in some of these um, vitamins and minerals leads to PMS or other hormonal imbalances like um like hypothyroidism things like that and there's if you look up the you know symptoms that come along with the deficiency in these vitamins there's so many different things and a big one is mental health conditions um so I know you mentioned your history with birth control mine's very similar where I had a very extreme reaction to it in terms of my mental health um and you know that's I find that very scary because you even brought up, you know, to the point of maybe even having those suicidal thoughts. And a lot of times when you, when your hormones are causing those fluctuations in your mental health, you don't know that you don't, they feel so real. Like you have no idea that it's coming from the birth control, especially if it isn't brought up with your doctor. Like after my experience on birth control and looking into the shot, it's, you know, they say on, on the warning that your doctor should talk to you about this. And it's not often a good fit for someone with a history of depression, because it can worsen that. And that's something that wasn't ever disclosed to me. And I feel like when I went in to get birth control, uh, the second time around, I feel like I had a good experience. I had like a birth control consultation where they like explained to me how it worked and how it was working in my body, which was really amazing. But again, like I didn't feel like the side effects were really talked about, yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, and I think it's um, unfortunate for a lot of women when sometimes the symptoms don't go away right away when they stop. And I have a condition called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And birth control can help a lot of people with that condition because it can help regulate the fluctuations in hormones and be life-changing for a lot of women in a positive light. But I've also heard a lot of women who say, I never had symptoms of PMDD. And then I went on this type of birth control and then it started and it hasn't gone away. Which, you know, that's obviously just women's experience. There's no study that shows that that is a um, possibility, but, you know, I think it's important for us to listen to women, especially when there aren't these studies being done. Like, of course, it's not scientifically proven because the studies aren't there. Well, <laughs> and, women's yeah. issues are only just beginning to be somewhat cared about. Yeah. And not only that, but I mean, who's funding a lot of medical studies are funded by these companies that have a certain agenda and they have a mm-hmm. certain thing that they want to, say is good or bad, but there's kind of an ulterior motive a lot of the time. And so funding for studies like that 
comes from big corporations. And so I think we always have to follow the, where the money is going. I always think that's really important, especially when it comes to medicine, because medicine is a booming business. And so asking those questions, I think, why aren't there studies out there when there are so many women who are having these experiences? I think that's where you have to, we have to, as a collective, put the pressure on um, these companies to either bring these studies um, out there or find alternatives to, mm-hmm. to these medications. Yes, definitely. I totally agree with all of that. Yeah. And so when we talk about alternatives, what are some alternatives to hormonal birth control? Um, so it kind of depends on your lifestyle. You know, if you do want children, um, your age, like things like that. Um, So for me, when I first went off of birth control, I really wanted to get into fertility awareness method, which is basically tracking different biomarkers in your cycle, tracking your temperature and um, charting your cycle to pinpoint your fertile days, um, which I'm working on now. um, And I'm excited to experience it and have that like experience and empathy for women who are, you know, coming off of birth control and want to try that. when I first tried to do it, it didn't quite work for me. I was overwhelmed. I definitely recommend that if you are looking into fertility awareness as a natural form of birth control to invest in a fertility awareness educator. I had no idea those existed (laughs) when I was coming off of birth control. And I think a lot of women still don't know they exist. And, you know, there's devices out there that you can get like A very common one is Daisy. I hear a lot of women talk about, which is, you know, where you take your temperature and there's like, I don't know, it's fancy. (laughs) It costs like a few hundred dollars. And I think it would probably be more beneficial to put that few hundred dollars into that education and support piece of a fertility awareness educator. Um, So yes, there's a fertility awareness method. And there's also um, a like the barrier method. So things like condoms, female condoms, um, things like that, which, you know, if they are used properly and you are with a partner who you trust to use things properly, that can be very effective. I use that method for many years and never had a problem with it. Um, then there's withdrawal, which is a lot scarier for a lot of people because we learned growing up that it is not efficient. Um, But I think if you're using it with another form like fertility awareness or a barrier method, you know, and you want to double up and use that as kind of your like secondary um, method, it can be useful. But that one's definitely a bit more tricky because, you know, your if your partner is a male, they kind of need to understand their body and what's going on and know what they're doing. You're kind of putting the trust into their hands. Um, So it's not always the most effective. Um, So a lot of women, when they aren't on hormonal birth control, they will use more than one form. So, you know, they'll do fertility awareness, but then if they are um, having sex, when they think they're not fertile, they might still use a condom because they just want to be sure. Um, And then if you, you know, don't think, or you know, you don't want to have children in the future. There's always sterilization as a woman, especially if you're a young woman with no children, that can be very hard to do. It's not always accessible. Doctors don't always want to do it. Um, Maybe if you 
had children in the past and know you're done, it might be easier. Um, but there's also that as well. And then for if you have a partner, they can get a vasectomy if you're ready for that. Um, so there's kind of like a whole spectrum of things that you can do. I think the most common are probably the barrier method and fertility awareness. Fertility awareness, I think, can seem overwhelming. Um, but once you get the hang of it, it becomes a lot simpler. Um, and that's why I definitely think it's important to work with someone who can help you have that confidence in yourself and in that method. Yeah. And even fertility awareness and withdrawal, I think are also a great combination. Uh, because if you do have that awareness and then just as a precaution, there is the withdrawal method as well. Um, uh, but I, I love that because it, the thing about fertility awareness too, I think that's really incredible and beneficial and even getting an educator for yourself, even just as a gift to yourself, like having someone educate you about this beautiful, sacred, magnificent body that you have that does this incredible thing every single month and has these incredible cycles and, and works in such amazing ways. And I think just learning about our bodies as women, because again, like we touched on this in the beginning, there's so much stigma and shame around periods. And I don't know if you had that experience growing up, but I definitely did where there was so much shame around my body and so much that I didn't like about it. And and even your period and having to hide that you're on your period and having to hide your pads and your tampons when you're going to the bathroom at school or whatever it is. And what if you bleed through your pants and there's all these embarrassing stories and, and just I think as a, like a love omen to yourself, like loving yourself and in that, in that way and being able to educate yourself about how sacred that is actually. And then I think on many of our ancestors, that was a time to celebrate. That was a time that you were cared for and tended to by your partner, by your sisters, by the women in your culture, your tribe or your family. So I mean, that to me is, is a beautiful thing. I love that idea so much. Yes. I love everything you just said. Like, I think we really need to get back or get into the mindset that women on their periods need to be loved and cared for. Just like, you know, the younger population needs to be cared for and the older population needs to be cared for and the sick need to be cared for. Like that is your time to step back and have others serve you and then at different parts of your cycle you're better at serving others and you know it's it's just the cycle of life like that's just how things work and you know it's really sad that as women we need to hide that and suppress that and just you know grin and bear it just go through life like we're not cyclical beings when we are and when we embrace that life becomes so much easier I feel like I personally was almost forced into cycle thinking because (laughs) I mentioned before about my PMDD that makes it so for part of my cycle my mental health kind of just plummets so I've learned that cycle thinking is kind of a necessity to me or my life doesn't feel good at all like it's forced me into embracing this and I'm almost happy I tried to really Um, think of things like my IBS and anything that I've gone through is really pointing me in the direction of health you know sure I might not have ever had gut issues but then you know I'd still be eating the standard American diet and not knowing that it's hurting my body and who knows how it would have affected me in the future where I feel like I had a lot of these 
indicators and signs from my body pointing me in the direction and still pointing me in the direction of a life that will truly be amazing just because of my struggles keeping me from those unhealthy habits. Such a beautiful uh, thought, right? Like these experiences we have, even though they're so challenging and take us so deep, (laughs) they're also the things that empower us to help others too. So yeah. Yeah. Um, So on the biohack your beauty podcast, we have three questions we ask every guest. So the first question is what is your definition of beauty? I think my definition of beauty is really living your life on your terms without having to explain it to anybody or prove yourself to anybody and just living in a way that makes you feel good, whether, you know, that's your career down to how you do your hair in the morning, like doing what makes you feel good, even if it's not somebody else's definition of what looks good. Mm, I love that. I don't think anyone's ever said that before, but that is so good. I love that so much. So second question, what is your favorite inner or outer beauty tip for our listeners? Um, positive affirmations. I feel like I've gone through so much of my life with looking in the mirror and just like pointing out to myself all the things that I don't like. And I, I still do it sometimes, you know, even today I was having one of those days where I like looked in the mirror and I was like, I thought my outfit looked better than it did, but whatever, <laughs> it feels good. Like I just won't look in the mirror, but I try to, when I find myself looking in the mirror and things like that, like, Ooh, this outfit isn't flattering or Ooh, you know, you, you have more acne today than looks good. I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't a good phrasing. <laughs> but if I look in the mirror and I woke up with a few new breakouts, instead of saying, uh, like that pimple looks ugly. I just try to rephrase it, you know, like my body's detoxing something. Acne is part of my healing journey. Um, the clothes that I wear don't represent who I am. I think a lot of times as women, we do want to use our clothes and our makeup and our hair and even our bodies to an extent to express who we are. So I think sometimes there's that disconnect where maybe we don't feel like we're expressing our true selves through how we look. And there's that balance of accepting how we look and loving ourselves for how we are naturally, but also, you know, wanting to be able to express ourselves through style and makeup and all of that. Um, So I think finding that balance can be hard where it's like, sure, even if I'm, you know, in sweats and my hair's up and I don't have any makeup on, I still believe I'm beautiful. But day to day, I might want to wear things that are a bit more expressive of who I am. Mm, So beautifully said. I love that so much. And where can people find you? Um, Instagram would be the best place. So it's just Angelica Ival, um, A-N-G-E-L-I-C-A-I-V-A-L-L. Um, I'm also on YouTube and Facebook. Um, right now I'm not as active on there, but yeah, you can definitely check out some of my older YouTube videos while I'm still trying to get back into the swing of that. But yeah, Instagram's always the best place and I'm always happy to get DMs. Like, I feel like I really like to use Instagram 
for connecting and actually having genuine conversations with people. So I definitely encourage you to say hi if you come from the podcast and I'd love to chat with you about hormones or anything. I love it. And you have an amazing newsletter as well. So make sure to go on um, Angelica's Instagram and sign up for that. Yeah, I actually um, have in my link in my bio, um, there should be a place where you can actually download my five tips for less PMS, and then you'll be added to my list. And then you'll get that um, little guidebook that has a lot of actionable tips to kind of help with the things we talked about today, like estrogen dominance and inflammation and stuff like that, that fuel PMS. So very awesome. Thank you so much, Angelica, for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited. Um, Ever since we started talking, I've been listening to so many episodes of your podcast. You have so many great ones on feminine energy, um, menstrual cycles, and hormones. And I'm glad to be a part of it. That makes me so happy to hear. If you loved this episode, please give this podcast a positive review on iTunes or Spotify. It helps us spread the word about the power of holistic health and beauty, and it helps this podcast grow. If you share your favorite takeaways from this episode on Instagram, please make sure to tag me so I can reshare. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful week.